Pastor Xavier Reese and the formula for a worry-free life. The entire New Testament, John 1, 3, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Hebrews 1, 2 through 3, says there's nothing that exists that he didn't create, and he not only created it, but he holds it all together. He is both creator and sustainer, having everything under control. So if he has everything under control, why is my life out of control? There's only one reason. I'm not trusting him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture tells us that it's not by might or by power, but by His Spirit. But for most believers, that's still one of the hardest lessons to learn. Today, as he continues his study out of the book of Isaiah, Pastor Xavier brings us back to this simple truth. God is in complete control. Let's listen. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 to 31. And the message is entitled, The Secret of Strength. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall fail and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The prophet Isaiah confronts the people of God with their justification and excuses. Notice first the proclamation of Israel's accusations against God. This is where he begins. He confronts something we don't like, necessary, and it's inevitable in the life of the believer. Because we are imperfect, and by nature, we're sluggards. <laughs> Notice first, God questions the nation about what they say in their speech against Jehovah. Jehovah addresses the nation by the name Jacob. Notice that. Jacob was the son of Isaac, as you know, and uh, Jacob was a twin to Esau, his brother. Now, God had declared that there were two nations in the womb, and the one would be stronger than the other. Speaking of Jacob, it was God who was going to make him strong. Esau, the other nation, would be Edom. Jacob would be Israel. Jacob meant that the nation was still trusting in her own strength and not God. When he was Jacob, the nation was a mixture of those who were still trusting in themselves and other things. And there were those who were governed by God. They were the exception, the remnant that Isaiah has spoken about. The church is always like that. The people of God are always like that. Keep that in mind that this context is the people of God, not the heathen. The context is God's going to bring them back from Babylon. He says, trust me. Don't try to figure me out. Jacob was in exile for 20 years. Did I not bring him back? Did Esau kill him? Obey. Notice, secondly, God addresses people with two accusations they had stated against Jehovah. 
The first charge being, my way is hidden from the Lord. The charge was that God was not aware of their condition. Well, I don't know what's wrong with God. He doesn't pay attention to me. He doesn't know what's going on. And a lot of times our prayers are like, oh, Lord, you know that, you know, at 3 o'clock, like if God needs information. <laughs> the charge was of being unfair. The charge was of being less than God. He's ignorant of what's going on. The second charge being, and my claim is passed over by my God. My just claim. The charge was of being indifferent, ignoring their just claim. We're right. We've brought a legitimate claim, and God just is indifferent. It's a charge of being uncompassionate. It's a charge of being unfaithful. These were the proclamations of Israel's accusations against God. They still go on to in the church, people. Do you know that? Notice secondly here. Verse 28. The declaration of God that Israel think through the accusations. First, Jehovah appeals to the nation's past history. Very important. First, have you not known? They were the people of God. They had received the commandments of God. They had seen God work on their behalf. They had the personal revelation of God and his word. Have you not heard? The people of Isaiah's day had heard about the Exodus story over and over again. How God delivered them. They had heard about the dividing of the Red Sea, the Jordan and flood season. They had heard about the destruction of all the inhabitants of the land. How they came across, took Jericho and then Ai and the problem with Achan and everything else. Everything. You've heard all what God has done in the past for others. You came to God. You know what he's done for you. You've been taught. You've learned. You know. Notice, secondly, Jehovah appeals to his divine attributes. He calls himself the everlasting God, the Lord, identifying the attributes of being eternal. The eternal quality of Jehovah was declared to Moses. I am that I am, having no beginning or end. The becoming one, a verb form, without limitation in Exodus 3.14. He's infinite. Now notice he calls himself the creator of the ends of the earth. He is ascribing to himself the identity of creator of the entire earth. He is the source of, the power for, and the designer of all that exists and is seen by man. Why is he talking about this? Because he's calling them to trust his power, his strength, not their own. He created, bara is the word. In verse 26, he speaks about the same word, bara, same as Genesis. He spoke it into existence. You and I, we assemble things from existing material. God says, light be, boom, out of nothing. In fact, the entire New Testament, John 1, 3, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Hebrews 1, 2 through 3, says that God, there's nothing that exists that he didn't create, and he not only created it, but he holds it all together. He is both creator and sustainer, having everything under control. So if he has everything under control, why is my life out of control? There's only one reason. I'm not trusting him. Now, am I talking that, oh, I'm always at peace. Oh, yes, God bless you. No, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I live in this world. But the order and the practice of my life is I experience God's fellowship. I experience his peace. There are times when my flesh freaks out and I have to bring them their submission. I have to go to God and I have to wait upon him and I have to claim the scriptures and I have to say, Lord, help this boy. But my life's not out of control. You understand? 
He is vaster and more powerful than anything he created. In fact, earlier in verse 12, he says he measures the waters with the hollow uh, of his hand. So he just goes like all the waters. Oh, nice little water. That's how vast he is. He measures the heavens with a span, the distance between his thumb and his little finger, about six and a half to nine inches, depending on how big your hand is. Now, men don't have enough powerful te telescopes to see the end of the universe. He goes, oh, about that big. Interesting. He calculates the dust of the earth and measures it. He weighs the mountains and, on the scales and the hills and the balances. Like playing with little houses in that. <laughs> Notice, he being eternal, created all things that are non-eternal and temporal. As powerful as the sun is, compared to God, it is a spark in the dark. <laughs> as massive as the universe is, compared to God, it is a small closet. In fact, Isaiah earlier asked the same two questions in verse 21 through 23. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And he gives to us the details of God's creative power. Listen. He sits above the circle of the earth, and the enhanced of the earth look like grasshoppers. How interesting. You know what's interesting here? Is that the men of science of old taught that the world was flat. Other cultures taught that the world sat on Atlas shoulders, on a tortoise, on an elephant. From the beginning, Isaiah the prophet said, hey, it's round. And then later on, he's going to have the nerve to tell us, and God had the nerve to hang it on nothing. Interesting. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. That's a nice little picture. Little garment. The vastness of the heavens is poetically described here as a curtain of a tent. He brings the princes to nothing. He reveals that he is the one who rules the earth. Remember Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar came back to his sanity. He says, listen, there's a God in heaven who does as he wills, and no one can say to him, hey, what are you doing? He makes the judges of the earth useless. He reveals he is the one in control of all things. You know, he gives wisdom, he takes away wisdom. He imparts confusion as he wills. He calls himself infinite by two more attributes. Notice that. His omnipotence and omniscience, meaning all-powerful and all-knowing. He says, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He is omnipotent. The attribute of being infinite means that God has no limitations. Due to the fact that he is self-determinate and self-existing, he is both imminent, involved in the world and its process, and transcendent. He is beyond the temporal world or our intellect. So this is the type of God he is. He is so vast that he created everything, and yet he is so personal that he's involved in the world and the lives of you and I, and he's so transcendent beyond our ability to find out everything about him that we can only understand what he's given us, and that by the Spirit of God. And there are things that we couldn't understand, so he doesn't explain them, and there are things that we can never understand until we get there. I mean, he's incredible. Never weary. You ever see Jesus reading the Gospels where somebody stops him and he goes, wait, wait, I'm tired. Let me, I got to go. I got to preach sermon on the mount. I'll be back. He's never in a hurry. He's always right on time. And yet as a man, he tired, he weary. But as God, he does not. The attribute of, of omnipotence means that he is all powerful. There is nothing that, he, that can oppose him, overcome him, or thwart his power as God, even as he speaks the world into existence, light be. Interesting. 
the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. His understanding is unsearchable. He is omniscient. The attribute of omniscience means there is nothing that God can learn. His knowledge is of the past, present, and future, instantaneous and eternal in an eternal present. How would you like that? You can't learn anything. You don't have to learn anything. You've got past, present, and future, boom, at an instant present. That's pretty good. He knows the stars by their number, calls them by their name. He declares the future things. A common phrase through Isaiah from 40 to 66. Tell me of things before they happen so when they happen I can declare you God to the false gods. And while you're trying to think of something, let me tell you things before they happen so when they happen you can know I'm God. Oh, how easy it is to forget what we know about God and what we have heard about him. One of the key words in scripture for the people of God is this, remember. Remember. Let me give you some of them. Deuteronomy 32, 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your fathers and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. That's why we gather. That's why we go to the word. That's why you as parents are to teach your children. Isaiah 44, 21 says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Remember that. When you think that God is not aware, that he isn't concerned, or that he's indifferent to you. Isaiah 46, 8 through 9, remember this and show yourself men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Oh, that we would not limit God's power to do what he reveals in the scriptures. To crucify the old man daily, Romans 6, 6 and 11. To have our speech always with grace and seasoned with salt that we may know how to answer each other in Colossians 4, 6. To forgive each other as God forgives us when there's genuine repentance in Ephesians 4, 32. Even as he has forgiven us. To know that we must look unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Unto him. When I come in that thing, oh, I, that's right, go to him. Don't consider yourself. Go to him. All the depths, the riches, both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Paul is quoting our text. Theology hasn't changed from Isaiah to Paul. Unto him. Unto him. This was the declaration of God that Israel think through their accusations. Think through them. They do not make sense. They're not sound biblical theology. God's people today are living that way as the people of Isaiah. Notice thirdly the revelation of God for strength. Here's the solution. When God points out a problem, he always gives the solution. 
God is not a pessimist, but he confronts to reveal in order to resolve and fix. Notice first verse 29. The revelation of God for strength first is the promises for all, and it is threefold. He gives power to the weak, those who are ready to fail, those that are fragile, fatigued, those who acknowledge their need. That's who he will strengthen. He gives to those who have no might to increase their strength. The word might means vigor, generative power. They are dependent on God. And the longer we walk with God, the more we should depend on God. If you, whenever you got married, I don't know for what length of time you were single, but if you were single for a long time, you were dependent on yourself and nobody else. And one of the most difficult transitions when you get married is that you have to depend on the other person. And you have to have good communication, and as you grow more and more, then you learn to flow with each other, to depend on one another. And it's the same with God. And the more I walk with him, the more I depend upon him. I learn to lean on him more and more. Notice thirdly in verse 31, the power of God through man is not limited. These are three promises. It's available to all, and here it's through man, and it is not limited like man's power. The promise is that they shall renew their strength to be refreshed. Listen, this world, this life gets weary. I've been walking with God for 27 years, very short time. It goes by fast. I would not have wanted to walk the last 27 years without God's strength. I would have been crushed, destroyed. He's given me great excitement and hope. The perspective of the day shall mount up with wings of eagles above the circumstance, having God's perspective. See, that eagle rises above the storm. The storm doesn't affect him. He has a keen eye. He's not freaked out about the things below him. He's trusting in, in the currents to carry him. The perseverance is evident on earth. Notice that. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's practical power that you can walk for the glory of God every day is a power that far exceeds Niagara Falls. You understand me? It's God's power in you for you to say no to sin, for you to say no to the drugs you used to take, the alcohol, the promiscuity, the stealing. That's power. God's power. Notice the direction of the strength is from heaven to earth. This is not coincidence. There's nothing we produce down here. It comes from heaven, and it's evident upon earth. The metaphor of an eagle was familiar to Israel. In Exodus 19, 4, it says, You have seen what I do to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He bore them. He carried them in his strength. In Deuteronomy 32, 11, and 12, he says, As an eagle steers up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on the wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. Here's the picture of the eagle. 
God's like an eagle, huge eagle. He, gets, he, he makes his nest over a precipice so nobody can get to him. And a precipice has a twofold thing, protection and also for provision for training. And the eaglets start getting a little big, a little fat, and, you know, they're getting big worms, this and that. And all of a sudden, the mommy says, you know what? It's time to fly, boys. And he, she gets in the nest, and she starts pushing those little suckers out. And they go, what are you doing, mom? And they're, ah, they're tumbling down, tumbling down, and they're flapping their wings. And she's looking, and she goes. And if they don't make it, she goes behind and catches them on her wings, brings them back up. Oh, thanks, mom. Boom, mom. What are you doing again? <laughs> she knows that if they're not pushed out of the nest to exercise their wings, they will never make it. Don't freak out and start screaming when God's pushing you out of the nest. Flap your stinking wings. <laughs> You'll fly, and he won't let you dash yourself against a stone. He'll catch you, bring you back up, get you, get your breath, and they go, boom, push you out again. Because <laughs> he wants to be strong in him, not in yourself. Don't get comfortable. Don't be foolish and jump off. Let him push you out. Every Christian must forever be careful of overconfidence, of following the Lord at a distance, warning himself in the enemy's fire. Peter in Mark 14, 54 is a classic example. What happened? He denied his Lord. But he's an encouragement too because on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit of God, 3,000 came to the Lord. He was a different man. What a difference. Listen, God has not put a cross heavier than you can bear. Paul told the Corinthians, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, who is, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, for though we, he was crucified through weakness, meaning Christ, yet he lives by the power of God, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. 2 Corinthians 13, 3-6. Paul reminds us we are without excuse. One of the most inspiring and thrilling recent discoveries of astronomers is that there is a great empty space in the north of the nebula of the constellation of Orion. A heavenly cavern so gigantic that the mind of man cannot even comprehend it. And so brilliant and beautiful in colors that cannot even be described. All astronomers agree there is a huge hole in the north out of Orion, which is perhaps more than, get a hold of this, sextillion, 186 million miles. A diameter so huge that we can't even understand it. The diameter of the Earth's orbit is 186 million miles, which is itself incomprehensible for man. Yet the opening into the heavenly cavern of Orion is 90,000 times as wide. In other words, there could be 30,000 solar systems like ours with a sun in the middle of each across the entrance of the opening of the north and still have room to spare. How big is your God? Corn bothering you? Headache? <laughs> How about cancer? This is the revelation of God for strength. What will it be, people? Isaiah the prophet addressed God's people for blaming him for their condition and their ungodliness. He exposed their lack of trust in God for their strength through the proclamation of Israel's accusations against God, through their declaration of God that they think through their accusations, and the revelation of God for strength. I think it all applies to us, doesn't it? I think we the people of God 
are still the same, and God is too. So we better depend upon Him. It's His strength, not my own. Pastor Xavier Reese with a good reminder about the inexhaustible strength of God, and it's available to all who have a relationship with Him. Now, today's message, The Secret Strength, is available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Secret Strength, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. How big is your God? That's part of our discussion right here on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Tell a friend and join us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 